I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. At the beginning of any of our new Ave Explores series, I'd like to kind of give you a little bit of a background on why we've chosen the particular subject that we're digging into this season. And sharing the faith, it well, let's be real, it just kind of makes logical sense that we would eventually attempt to unpack and dig into what it means to evangelize, what it means to share what we believe. And to be quite honest, I mean, we've arrived at this place of let's talk about how we share the faith after spending a number of seasons digging into different aspects of our faith. What does it look like to be a Catholic who's concerned about their and the mental health of others? What does it mean to have a relationship with the Blessed Mother, Our Lady? How do the saints impact our relationship with Jesus Christ? What about social justice and moments that are relevant in the current culture? How does our faith factor into that? We most recently dug into sacred scripture and really why the Bible is an anchor, a pillar, if you would, of what we believe as Catholics and a guiding force of our life. And so it just makes logical sense that we would also now begin to dig into, well, how can I take things I've learned from sacred scripture and sacred tradition and actually give witness to it in the world? That's really what we're trying to do with this new Sharing the Faith series, which is kicking off. And by the way, if you go to AveMariaPress.com, you'll be able to find everything there, the articles, the videos, the Facebook Live conversations, the podcast episodes with some more information about our guests, as well as some great book recommendations. But really what we're trying to dig into here, what we're hoping to share over the next few weeks is how you and I, in the particular circumstances and places that we find ourselves in, are uniquely equipped to share the faith with the people that we know in the places that we find ourselves, in ways that we are uniquely suited to do. That's one of the key messages in this whole series. And you'll hear from experts in evangelization, which is even kind of a weird phrase to to use, a weird title to give someone, but you'll hear from people who are on the front lines of sharing the faith in parishes and dioceses and, and programs that exist and have existed for years We'll talk about what it looks like to listen to people who want to learn the faith and to be able to figure out what needs to be said. We'll dig into the ins and outs of how the Holy Spirit guides us in our evangelization. We'll explore why Vatican II was a bit of a turning point when it comes to the way the church shares the faith in the modern world today. All of that and more will be unfolding over the next few weeks, and we we want you to join us. And so if you sign up for all of the content and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, I can tell you that the conversations we've been having have been stellar, and I I can't wait for you to hear them. And kicking us all off is a guy who has, like I said, been on the front lines of evangelization for a really long time, Marcel Lejeune, or Lejeune, if I were to use my French pronunciation, worked at Texas A&M in the Newman Club is one of the words I guess you could use to describe it. He was the college campus minister at A&M for years. He's a graduate of A&M, a lifelong Aggie, as he would say. And really on the front lines of evangelization with young adults in colleges, he began to realize the way that we share the gospel message is through building authentic relationships with people. And so Marcel joins us to kick off Ave Explorers to dig into the relationship component of evangelization and give us a very clear definition of what evangelization actually is. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Sit back and take a listen to this chat with Marcel Lejeune about evangelization and relationships. 
Marcel, thanks so much for joining us on Ave Explorers. Yeah, thanks for having me, Katie. Yeah, it's always great to chat with you. I've been a longtime fan of your work from your early AM days. I'm wearing maroon just for you. It's a uh, gigum, right? It was a big, big day for you guys recently. Tell us oh, a little yeah. bit about who you are and where you are and what you've been doing. Well, I'm a husband and father, got five kids. I've been working in ministry for almost two decades, most of it in campus ministry. Spent 16 years doing that, four at Texas Tech and 11 at Texas AM, which is my alma mater. So, Aggies think more of their school than just about anybody else. So we probably, we, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, CrossFitters. You just have to wait for an Aggie to tell you they're an Aggie. It, it doesn't take much. <laughs> doesn't take long. No, no. So I've been doing that for a long time. And then I uh, started Catholic Missionary Disciples, which works with Catholic leaders to help evangelize and disciple. We've been doing that for four years. Like a lot of folks nowadays, I work from home. So yeah. Yeah, right there with you. Don't look behind me at the mess on the floor from yeah. uh, the gift guide for 2021. Where? How did campus ministry attract you in the beginning? I mean, you went to AM. Did you get a degree in campus ministry? I mean, AM is a big school. Like, where? How did ministry land on your plate? Yeah, that's a good question. I think no, I got a degree in history. Graduated, needed a job, found one selling used cars. That was the first one I had. Floated for a couple of years, and I was married. I got married right out of school. And what ended up happening is my wife went back to school for social work. She got an MSW. And then I was kind of, eh, should I go get an MBA and make a lot of money and then ask God, and that, which is always scary. <laughs> and God said, uh, no. And started sitting into some grad school classes for theology, fell in love with it, ended up getting a degree in theology, never thought I'd be able to support my family doing it, and then stumbled into a job that I applied for at Texas Tech. And then they did pay me enough to support my family. And I fell in love with working with young adults. My issue was I kind of aged myself out of it after 15 years, you know, I was already in my forties and I kind of aged myself out of it and trained up people that were actually better than I was at it by that time. So I said, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to leave. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's how I got into campus ministry. It's a great thing. It's hard work though. Hard yeah. work. You're working right at the front of our culture is what mm -hmm. you're doing with campus ministry. Because what happens on college campuses today, tomorrow will be in the rest of the culture. Right. That's, that's the way you ought to think about it. They're the yeah. forefront. They, they actually drive culture, I think, college students more than any other age group. That's a fascinating take. I was just talking to my husband the other day about how I feel like I'm at a moment in my, I'm 32, mm -hmm. where I am, I'm no longer at the cusp of driving a trend. Like yeah. I can start a conversation on Twitter or I can like recommend a product on Instagram, but I'm watching things that become popular and then latching on to them rather than being at the age where like I can make those things popular. Mm -hmm. So how do you evangelize? We're going to talk in a big moment about there, you know, from a wider perspective in a second, but how do you teach the gospel to those young people then? Like what is the hook to try to get them to recognize you can affect a lot of change. Maybe you should affect change for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's changed from generation to generation what young people are looking for, honestly. I think that the trends, the issues that they deal with, all those things change. But the universal desires of the heart don't. And that is they want to be loved. They want to belong. They want to know they're cared for. They want to know that somebody really values them and loves them. And those things are universal through time and space. So what I think the church needs to respond to and what we as Catholics need to respond in is really in those spaces, make time for relationships with young people who are in need. 
that's also, you know, that transcends generations. That's everybody. Everybody wants that. And one thing that we really in our culture today have not done well is help people to find good relationships and friendship and family and belonging and community. So people look for it in strange places. If they're not going to find it in the church, they'll find it somewhere else, you know, online communities and everything else. That's where this stuff comes from is because, you know, people will go seek it out and find it somewhere. Is that the heart of evangelization then? Trying to show people you have a place, you have a place to belong, and, and we have something that we want to give you? I mean, what can you define it for me? I mean, the church has all sorts of different particular lines, but like somebody's listening to this and says, okay, what does it mean to share the faith? What is evangelization? Yeah, evangelization ultimately is where you're going to help somebody get to the point of conversion. That's really mm-hmm. the best way to think of it. Now, think of it this way also, conversion in everybody's life is going to look different. I mean, your conversion doesn't look like mine. And even if there's elements that might be universal in that sense, you know, or principles that might apply, everybody's story is different. And we have to realize that. But getting somebody to the point of conversion in the simplest way that the catechism and Vatican II and other documents talk about is that you have to live the faith and you've got to vocalize the faith. In other words, mm-hmm. you got to share it with what your deeds are and your words are. And so that you're proclaiming Jesus Christ by word and life, and then help somebody get to the point of conversion by doing those things. That's kind of the boiled it down, live it, say it, Jesus. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and help somebody else come to know and love and follow him. And that's ultimately what evangelization is. Who does that really well? Like if you could pick, I see this question pop up every now and then on social media. Like who's the, Sherry Waddell asks it a lot in her Forming yeah. Intentional Disciples group. Like who's doing this super well right now? Somebody hears that and they probably have a picture in their head of people that don't do it well or maybe come off a little too strong. Who do you think or what organization or what program? Who's doing that really well right now? I'm going to cop out and say saints. Saints do it well. (laughs) It's a good answer. (laughs) But it's not a cop out either. I mean, if you think about it, evangelization and sainthood go together. Mm -hmm. I mean, the best saints are the best evangelists. The best evangelists are the best saints. So if you want to be a good evangelist, go be a saint, because what happens is that you fall deeply in love with Jesus Christ. You want to learn about him. You want to follow him and you want to share him with other people. And you do so naturally and organically. It's not in your face. It's just kind of like, hey, let me introduce you to my friend, this guy over here. He's cool. He's awesome. And I love him. I'll tell you right now, the best evangelists are generally the ones you don't hear about. Mm. They're, They're not going to be the ones with, you know, 2 million people on YouTube. They're not going to be the ones who have a huge program that you might run at your parish. They're generally the people who are behind the scenes who can't help but share the love of Jesus Christ with other people and do so in an attractive way, right? It's not in your face. It's not over the top. It's going to be, let me let me love you right where you are and let me show you a better place to go. And it's with God. So, you know what? I think about this and you know, I've I've been teaching evangelization, training, coaching evangelization. Now I do it with bishops and priests and other Catholic leaders. And it, it's kind of a privileged place, right? But what's funny, Katie, is I'm not the best evangelist by any stretch of the imagination that I know personally. Yeah. And I'm talking about, I know other Catholics who you might know in name, and I know them personally, and they're better evangelists. And I know people who you will never meet, and they're killing it because mm-hmm. they're just living it out really well. And I got a personality that sometimes comes across a little too strong with people. So, you know. Well, I think you, well, you hit on something there. I mean, saints are the best. When I think back to my teaching in my youth ministry days, it was stories of the saints that usually led to bigger conversations. So you're a hundred percent right there. You said something in that though, about the, let me like bring you alongside of me and 
I'm going to introduce you to my friend named Jesus. And then like, we're going to grow in friendship and you're going to grow in friendship with him. And then like, you're going to then turn around and do that with other people. What does that look like in a practical way? Cause somebody yeah. might hear this and think, so am I going to be the weirdo who like walks into the office on Monday morning and is like, Hey everybody, let's go to a Bible study together. Like what practically you train the bishops, you train the priests, you're giving people this information. Can you give us a little bit of a preview of like what your missionary ministry looks like and tell us a little bit about forming missionary disciples? Yeah. So what happened is that when I was working in campus ministry, Texas A&M was generally considered the, the, the biggest and one of the best, if not the best campus ministry in the world. So I'd kind of hit this point where we were having dozens of campus ministers from literally all over the world who would come and visit and say, tell us how we how you do it. Tell us how mm-hmm. to recreate this at our place. And what we would tell people and what I would say today again is you're not trying to recreate a thing or a program or a culture from what we've been able to do because it's so unique. So in other words, what we did at Texas A&M and College Station, Texas cannot be recreated in LA, New York, London, France or China. You know, you can't just pick it up and take that. And, and you can't even do it in another small town in Texas. Same thing, right? It's unique. And that goes for your parish and my parish. It also goes for, you know, me evangelizing you. So I started to get this, you know, training and principles and application of how do you do it and coaching people. Okay, well, then look at your own place. You're the expert in your local community. You're the expert in your, your local people, your own friendships. How do you then take those principles and those teachings that Jesus and the church have given us throughout the ages and apply them in your context? And this is where the rubber meets the road, right? So what does it look like? It might look different where you do it than where I do it, but the mm-hmm. principles are the same. And let me give you some of the principles that are applicable universally. And that is that people need relationships. Now, what kind of relationships? Intentional relationships. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think we're at the worst spot in human history for real true friendship. Mm. And what that means and looks like is really foreign to most people. Like, and I'll just speak to guys for a minute because I'm I'm better at speaking to guys because I've been doing this for so long. If you go ask a middle-aged guy right now, tell me about your friends. They're going to describe a bunch of drinking buddies or work buddies or people that talk about stuff like sports and other things. And I'll say, okay, well, where are your spiritual friendships that are deep and meaning and where you can be honest and vulnerable and intimate that hold you accountable? And they say, well, I don't, I don't have that kind of stuff. And they sometimes guys are like, I don't want to have that kind of stuff. And it's a bunch of crap because they do. We all do. We all want deep, meaningful relationships where we're put on a path to be a better human being. Mm-hmm. An intentional friendship is one where you come alongside somebody and you start to build the trust where you can then invite into that kind of relationship. And I've done this with guys for decades now. And I will tell you, it is something that changes people's lives. I was blessed to have friends who did this with me, though. And so it was modeled for me. But what the crisis, in a sense, of relationship that we have right now is most people have never had anybody do it with them. Mm-hmm. So they don't know how to do it with others. So if that's the case with somebody maybe listening to our conversation and going, man, I want that kind of relationship and I want it, well, then you're going to have to initiate here. And that's mm-hmm. another principle. The greatest evangelists initiate. They initiate in relationship. They initiate in conversation. They initiate in invitation yeah. to go get a cup of coffee and stuff like that. So evangelization is overthought in a lot of ways, but it's never undervalued. And I will tell you this, though. Mm. A lot of folks right now generally just want a friend who has a plan for how do we get to be better friends with each other and with God. And if you can go do that, you can go evangelize. I mean, and you can be a really good evangelist. That friendship idea is, uh, it's so striking to me because I think back to college 
Mm-hmm. And I, I went to a college that anybody listening, there's University of Dallas, where campus ministry was some people like deeply resisted it because they were like, oh, I don't need that. And when I think back to like what campus ministry did for me, it was the friendship thing. It was finding places and spaces to where I got to hang out with people who weren't just like minded, but like gave me an opportunity to dig into things. The Awakening Retreat was brought to UD by way of Texas Tech, which was brought to Texas Tech from AM, which arrived at AM from McNeese State University. So there's a whole connection here of like of our worlds. And one of the things I think that people are attracted to from awakening retreats that have become acts retreats that have become so many other things is that vulnerability that I don't want to say is manufactured, but you have a place for it mm-hmm. that then can grow into those authentic relationships that you just talked about, which is one of those key principles. I'm curious as people build those friendships or as people start to become close to other people and the gospel starts to get shared. I've heard it said before, and I don't agree with this, but I've heard it said before that, well, then that's just usury. Like you're just using that friendship to try to convince somebody of Jesus. How do we move beyond that? Like, I'm not just befriending you because I want to convince you of becoming a Christian or convince you of loving Jesus. I mean, I know that's what's good for you, but sometimes the culture gives Catholics or gives people that are sharing the faith a bad rap for being too in your face, even though a lot of times we're not in your face enough or being like, oh, you're being coercive. Like you don't actually care about me. You don't actually want to listen to me. You just want to convince me of something. How do we fight against that in this evangelization? I'm not going to say war, but battle that we're in sometimes. Yeah. And I would agree. We really have a problem of not sharing the faith rather than too much sharing the faith. Um, (laughs) And I will say this, look, I would rather somebody be on a street corner saying Jesus is the way and the truth and the life rather than never talking about Jesus. Mm. I don't think either one's the best thing to do or the best way to evangelize, but at least doing bad evangelization is trying and not evangelizing at all is actually being disobedient to the command of God to go make disciples and all the other things he said. So I'd rather you do it poorly than never do it. And Mm. I think God is as well. Now, with that being said, there are better ways to do it. And I have messed up every single way you could possibly imagine in trying to evangelize every one of them. And I've tried to learn from my mistakes and I probably haven't learned too well because I'm still going to mess up. But I will say this, you know, if you think about the fact that evangelization sometimes can make people into projects, then we have to try not to. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, we have to love the person in front of us and respect their freedom just like Jesus did. But think about our God and think about the apostles. Let's start there. If they didn't share the faith and the content of the faith and a call to repentance and a call to discipleship, we wouldn't be here as Christians today. Mm. And tomorrow's generations will not be there if we don't do the same thing the apostles and Jesus Christ did. It is now handed to his church, you and I, to be able to hand on the faith and to help other people come to know Jesus. I think what we underline this though, Katie, is we've got to explore why are some people saying this? And part of it is, I think we have a creeping universalism Mm. that has entered our church where it's okay, you're going to go to heaven anyway you're not a terrible human being. Well, the gospel says that the way to heaven is narrow and that the road to hell is wide. And and one of the things we have to be very careful of kind of creeping into a universalist kind of understanding, even if it's not conscious, because then that gives us an out. Well, they're going to go to heaven anyway. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm not going to tell somebody they're not going to heaven. That's not my place. That's for God alone to judge the salvation of somebody else. But I know this, the Catholic church gives us the best option and opportunity to go to heaven. So why would I not talk about that? And if I love God and he's commanded me to, why would I not do that? And yeah, let's love people, but let's love them so much that we want something good for them. And the best Mm -hmm. thing for them is heaven. And if I really, truly believe that, how can I not share my faith? But I want to do so in a way that's gentle 
and respecting of their human freedom, just like Jesus did, right? I mean, the rich young man comes to Jesus Christ and he says, what do I have to do to get to heaven? I mean, that's the best, biggest question in the world. And Jesus says, well, what are the commandments? You know, he, the Q&A turned into a Q&Q, like Jesus <laughs> always did. So here's the Q&Q. The Q now for him is, well, how do you, you know, tell me the command? He tells me the cans. I've done this my entire life. And then he says, well, okay, go and sell all you have, right? That's tough. That's mm-hmm. tough love, but it's love. It's love because it's not enough just to say it's okay to be okay. That's a false lie the world has sold to us. It's not okay to just be right where we are, sit in our sin, not be forgiven, not seek repentance, not to go to, you know, to Jesus Christ for everything and turn our lives over to him. That's what the gospel calls us to do. And that's radical. And yeah, sometimes we got to even challenge our interior Catholic culture, which sometimes pushes back against that stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's go evangelize and let's do it in a loving, kind way that respects human freedom, even enough to the point of saying no, like Jesus, the rich young man, when he went away sad. I mean, yeah, that's the way you don't make somebody into a project is by respecting them right where they are enough to allow them the freedom to walk away. And that's that's hard. But yeah, I was reading that story to Rose. So we read the Sunday gospel in like a kitty Bible. Yeah. And um, we watched a little kids cartoon about it. And then we were talking about it. And she was, why didn't Jesus run after him? Mm. I was like, that is the million dollar question. Because yeah. I think sometimes as people who want to share the faith, sometimes our, whether our, our pride gets a little hurt if somebody wants to walk away or is not as convinced of it as we are, or we think, well, my method has worked before. Like, why isn't it working this time? Or there's this you and I have both seen this play out mostly on social media, a competitiveness of like my version of evangelizing is better than yours, forgetting we're all really in the same arena here. And we each have a specific, I think everybody has a certain audience that Mm -hmm. they're particularly drawn to. It's not even audience, but like people that they're called to be able to speak to. I mean, I think you're laying it out beautifully. If I care about this, I would should want to share it. If I know that it's changed my life, then why wouldn't I want to tell somebody else about that? Yeah. And, you know, the other thing we got to remember is we don't know the rest of the story of that rich young man or anybody else's. You know, I had a professor in grad school who, oh, my gosh, this brought me to tears one day. He's talking about the rich young man. He says, look, this is not canonical. This is not even in tradition. But what if this happened? And one day Jesus is teaching. He's up on a hillside and there's thousands gathered around him. And he's giving this great sermon on you know, life and morality and everything else. And then he sees this young man walk up and he recognizes the face of the rich young man, Mm. but he has a smile on his face and he has poor clothes on and he just looks simple and he's radiating love. And Jesus knows he's come back after selling everything. And inspired by that, he starts to teach this. There was once a man with two kids, Mm. two sons. One of them said, father, give me half your wealth. Of course, it's the story of the prodigal son, right? Who Mm -hmm. goes away and has to live a life of perdition before he has this conversion to come back to the father and the father's waiting for him. I mean, think of that, that Jesus, in a sense, would be inspired by the rich young man with the smile on his face, running back to him, running back to the father saying, I've done all that you've asked of me. Would you receive me back in your home? And Jesus teaches the prodigal son. So we don't know the the end of people's stories, but Mm -hmm. our job's not to coerce. Our job is not to even convince. Our job is the least important job of three people. The most important job is God. God's the one who can move a heart. And if God chooses to do it at the timing that we desire him to, then praise God. But if he doesn't, praise God anyway, right? We did what we were supposed to do. We're faithful to the fact that we shared our faith. 
or love somebody or did the works of mercy or whatever it was, right? To help show the love of God to somebody else. Even if it was just being polite to somebody at the store. Second most important person is the other person whose free will we have to not only respect, but put on the fact that, you know, that free will allows them to love God back. Mm -hmm. And that's what our goal is to hopefully that one day they can choose to believe in him and follow him and love him. And ours is just to be faithful to the call to go evangelize. And that's all we control, Katie. That's it. All Mm -hmm. all we can control is that. And when we don't do that, let's say we're sorry, because we control whether or not we can say we're sorry. Our own decisions are all we control in this situation. And the other two people are way more powerful because we're not in charge of that free will and we're not in charge of the grace. So it takes the burden off of us as long as we're making good decisions in in our own lives. Yeah. I think people get stressed about evangelization or I'm worried I'm going to do it the wrong way or I'm not equipped. And I always go back to the garrison demoniac who evangelized a whole town and he didn't even have a name. And it's like, well, obviously, like we have podcasts and radio shows and, and ministries and Facebooks like we can do something. If somebody bumps into you in an elevator after they've heard you give a talk and they're inspired and they want to become somebody who shares the faith, not from a stage or from a podcast, but just like, I want to be more evangelistic, I guess is the word, in my life. What's your nugget of wisdom in that one minute elevator ride? Yeah, the one minute wisdom is everything and anything that you want to do evangelistic will start interiorly. And if you don't have your own house in order, how can you ever expect to help somebody else get theirs in order? So go to the Lord, dive deeper into prayer, dive closer to our mother, Mary, learn what it means to really love Jesus Christ with everything and to pour your life into him and to receive them the grace is necessary that I can go share my faith because you don't want it to be a project. You don't want it to just be an obligation. You want it to do it because it's passionately in love with God. Mm -hmm. And if you're not there yet, then, you know, yeah, you can try to go evangelize, but you're probably going to have your knees knocked out from under you. So fall deeper in love with God. That's number one. And number two, just try something if you're Mm -hmm. not doing it. And again, going back to what I said earlier, initiate in relationship. Because Mm -hmm. if everybody waits for somebody else to initiate relationship, nobody's going to get a relationship. Yeah. I realized this years ago when I was longing for more male friends about my age. And I desired it. And I realized that all of us were, look, we were all busy. We all had little kids. We all had all this stuff, school and everything else and work and obligations and marriages and all these things that took precedence. But we were all longing for better relationships and we didn't make space for it. And so I just started investing a little bit more time in a, in a handful of guys. And lo and behold, you know, you look back 15 years later, I've got some of the most amazing friends who are Mm -hmm. amazing disciples and we walk together and we evangelize other people. We actually have a plan together to go and reach other men for Jesus Christ. And it all started by, Hey, you want to go get a beer? Hey, you want to go get lunch? That's how it starts. And then having conversations that matter. How's your prayer life? How's your marriage? How's your walk with God? You know, those kind of questions and then listening to people and valuing them and then making more invitations. That's what I'd say. Yeah. I mean, that's great advice. Marcel, where can we follow you and learn more of your wisdom, grab a copy of your book and see what you're doing boots on the ground? Yeah. Go to catholicmissionarydisciples.com. Also, if you really want, you know, if you're somebody who's like, look, I need more practical how to that's, I kept getting that again and again. And so we launched just about a week and a half ago, transformcatholic.com, where we give practical insights of how to evangelize, not just what and why, but how do you actually go and do this stuff for real with real people and applying the principles in your own life. So awesome. CatholicMissionaryDisciples.com or TransformCatholic.com. Awesome. We'll have those down in the show notes. Marcel, thanks for your time, my friend. Absolutely. 
know, after I uh, finished the interview with Marcel, I was talking to my husband about what he said about friendship, especially with guys and, and how men are specifically looking for authentic relationships that sometimes they might feel they're not worthy of having or they don't know where to start or they're a little nervous that maybe somebody will think they're too mopey or sappy. And Tommy kind of laughed and he said at every turn and point in his own life, the guys that he's become good friends with and has stayed in friendship with have been guys really unafraid to dig into what's hard and what's challenging and what's good and where Christ is in the midst of all of that. I loved what Marcel had to say about how authentic friendships that become lifelong friendships, that become relationships in pursuit of Christ together, how that's at the heart of becoming both a good evangelist, right? I'm able to evangelize other people by building these relationships, but then also to, in some major way, improve your own relationship with Christ. We have so much to dig into as we go through this Ave Explorers Sharing the Faith series, and I want you to join us for all of it. If you click on over to AveMariaPress.com, you'll be able to find everything that we are creating, all of our podcasts, all of our videos, all of our articles and Facebook Live conversations, some book lists that we want you to take a look at, just so many great things, all for free. So go to AveMariaPress.com and join us. As always, we're so grateful that you listened today, and we hope you'll be back next week for so much more. We'd be grateful for a rating and a review of our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Share it with your friends. Give it that review. Subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And stick around for a whole lot more coming this season for Ave Explores Sharing the Faith. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.